So what day this Ghibli? Welcome again to another episode of Latin and Layman's. It's been a week, but your boy's back. It's a Saturday. It's 10, 14 a.m. in the morning on the 14th of May. Um, and uh, yeah, reeling off of some good news that I received yesterday that actually kind of interrupts all of the misfortune that I was talking about the prior week. So, um, yeah, I'm not talking about it yet, really, but good things, you know, as one door closes, another one opens and, um, and yeah, you know what? Uh, I needed a little bit of a break. I needed some good news. So today, what we're going to talk about, um, I'm going to skip ahead. I was reading actually in Wheelock and I realized that they put numerals, or he put numerals, all the way at the end of uh, Latin. So he kind of closes out all of the grammar and all the study of grammar in Latin with numerals. And that's interesting because when you think about it, why is that the case? Well, I'm going to talk about it in a little bit. But first, I'm going to go ahead and talk about two important rules to remember in this chapter. <sighs> Excuse me. Um, and they are firstly, <clears throat> the only cardinal numbers, um, which decline in Latin are unus, duo, trace, and mila, milia rather, which is one, two, three, and thousand, right? Milli meaning thousand. And then secondly, Latin is, um, exp expresses, expresses kind of a partition all of something or some of something in two ways with something called the genitive that's called the partitive genitive which is used with milio thousands super, superlatives words designing or designating partition and certain pronouns and adjectives or secondly with x remember out of or d which means away from de plus an ablative which is used with all numbers except milia and quidam which means certain so I'll get into that more. It's going to be a bit of an episode, so stay tuned. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. But like I said, doesn't it seem kind of funny? The first thing we typically learn when we start actually beginning or studying a new language uh, are numerals, but in Latin, or in this case in Wheelock, it's introduced as the very last concept to learn. Hmm. Not in this case, though. Simply... Um, simply because uh, I just want to interrupt it a little bit and talk about this kind of stuff because I think it's very interesting. And uh, yep, yep. Oh, my brother's calling me. All right, so what day I'm back. I just got off the phone uh, uh, with my brother for hour long conversation. It was really, really good to talk to him. Love my bro. We always have a lot to cooperate on now that. We you know, that we're both teachers and, you know, uh, I don't know. Hey, if all of you kiddos out there are growing up uh, and you are grappling with your siblings, it's totally normal because when you get later on into life, when you get older, your siblings become your best friends because you know that no matter what, family will always be there at the end of the day for you, uh, whether you're in the right or whether you're in the wrong. Um, they're, they still got your back. And I, I love my brother. He's gotten me through some hard times, although we've always been separated um, through 
some amount of distance, uh, we've always been able to be interconnected. And it's so cool. It's so funny. It's like, I don't know. I can think of a lot of different examples, but I won't get into it. I won't get all sappy on y'all because we have numerals to talk about, right? So the reason why I think at least he um, he highlights it, he being Wheelock as uh, the last concept of his book is while numbers are basic words in most modern languages and no doubt used often and widely within Roman society, uh, numerals are often or relatively rare in Latin texts preserved from antiquity. Um, well, um, why might you very well ask? Well, among ancient authors whose works have survived only to this day, there's a general disinterest, if not distrust, in the value of quantifying data. Um, in many ways, it's the complete opposite of the way that we rely and um, indeed count on anything expressed numerically. We, we have this fixation bordering on uh, arthro arthmophilia because it's supposed to be uh, arithmo. Yeah, arithmophobia. There we go. There we go, Liam. Arithmophobia. Sometimes I, I the way that I put together words is I take the bits and then I try to put them A plus B. Arithmophobia. Arithmophobia is an intense love and or affinity of numbers. I don't know if we're actually like that, but that's a good word to describe it as. Arithmetic, right? Arithmo, meaning and coming for, from and or uh, referring to numbers in Greek. And philia, remember, uh, usually an intense love or uh, affinity towards. That's where we get the word pedophilia, right? An affinity for children, which is a very inappropriate thing. Um, so um, we like mathematical things nowadays, but most Roman authors were aristocrats of some sorts. And even those who weren't born into the upper classes were writing almost exclusively for a rich and leisured readership. Doesn't that make sense? So who else could afford the time and expense it took to peruse literature in those days? And ironically, although the monies in their bank accounts numbered into the millions, those very wealthy ancient nobles uh, disdained counting as such, which is so funny. They just like had a bunch of money and they didn't know how much they had. They just knew they had a bunch. To them, economics and finance actually were mundane, middle-class business ventures, not the sort of pursuit that well-bred people pursue, in fact. Um, if you don't believe me, go read some Kikro, a.k.a. Cicero, Virgil, Ovid, Seneca. Seneca, one of the richest men in Rome, who certainly had plenty of coins uh, that he never counted and never had to count. And you'll cover um, vast passages. Uh, if you read any of those guys, vast passages in which... There's not a single numeral to be found. Even Caesar, a general who had to think constantly about enemy numbers, casualties, supplies, and the like. Think about it. Like, yeah, if you're dealing with army, you're dealing with all sorts of things. Like, you have to delegate tasks. You know, that takes numerical balancing as well. Um, but his works, read Debello Gallico includes remarkably, remarkably very few numerals. Um, 
which is not to say that numbers are completely absent from his commentaries. Indeed, he uh, includes far more than you'll find in any work by the more stylish and sophisticated um, historian Tacitus, but um, you will also find a far fewer number, a far fewer amount of numbers as such than anyone who would expect to be or expect it to come from a general, rather. You know, so yeah, although he did express more numerals, he didn't really talk that much about them, not to the extent that we would expect nowadays. Certainly no one in the Pentagon today, in fact, could get away with including so little math. So, you know, it's just one of those things that's, uh, you know, kind of gone throughout time and history, and it's evolved as such, but I digress. The point is, those in antiquity with uh, the power to exalt some works and censure um, others saw numbers is less than important than philosophy. So, for instance, or fate, character, religious belief, even love, in fact, those were to them matters suitable for the gentlemen to discuss. Uh, and that's why at the end of this, you know, this, you know, uh, episodic dealio, which probably will never end, in fact. Um, but in the Edmund Wheelock, we learned that uh, we finally warn, learn one, two, and three numerals, such as those that are called cardinal numbers. <clears throat> Excuse me. To read the authors whose works are most likely to study in the wake of this course, you need to know only the numbers one through 10, 20, a hundred, a thousand, two thousand, two thousand, and up. Uh, these are the only numerals you're likely to encounter and therefore the only ones worth memorizing, in my opinion, if I do say so myself. Unus means one, unus, right? Uno, unus, una, unum, which you already know. Um, I'm sure you guys have, we've gone over that. It's an adjective as well. It can uh, describe one thing. While there aren't singulars for two, three, and so on, there's a plural for one, which is uni, meaning ones, i.e. Um, it est individuals. Its successor is duo, the Latin for two. Here, fully declined in the plural only, of course, the O ending in the masculine and neuter nominative and neuter accusative is an artifact of a whole separate grammatical number. Yes, um, a number. I learned about this from my professor, uh, Dr. Mark Damon, um, like singular and plural. So, this is a whole separate number that once existed actually in the Proto-Indo-European. So they had three, the singular, the plural, and the dual, the dual in between the singular and the plural, in fact, as is I am going, which would be singular, I'm going, um, the two of us are going would be dual, the two of us referring to, hey, you and I. And then they, being the three or more, are going. A fully operative dual with distinct noun and verb endings is very visible in Sanskrit, the ancient Indo-European language of India. And though dying, um, the dual in ancient Greek was still alive enough to show up occasionally in the works of some authors like Plato. In Latin, bless the Romans, uh, the duel is dead. 
it's a fossil imprint found only in the words with a strong two sounds like duo and ambo like ambidextrous the latin word for both ambo refers to the word ambidextrous actually dexter meaning the right hand right so when it when you were ambidextrous you were actually uh, both right-handed right because in antiquity they believed that the left hand was sinister it was evil that's why they called it sinister Um, the other forms of the duel that um, that show well before the classical age and the Romans had been uh, busy replacing the original dual endings with plural forms drawn from other more common and familiar, familiar declensional systems. So not really worth getting into. The process of de-dueling in my, uh, what I like to call, has stemmed in duai, duorum, du duorum, duos, duas forms, which account for almost half of duo, which in this case is not unus, right? So for this, for some reason, in the date of an ablet of duis, did not appeal to the Romans who desired the more uh, third declension-like ending obus and abus, including and producing duobus in the masculine and neuter, and duobus in the feminine. So let's go ahead and discuss something called Grimm's Law. If you don't know, that refers to the reflection that certain Indo-European consonants undergo, undergo these uh, regular modifications in the Germanic language that are not seen in non-Germanic languages, such as German, I'm so sorry, such as Greek or Latin. And Indo-European base, DW, um, would have developed into what into English? Well, in this case, dent. And teeth is where we get that word from. Yes, T-W-O, which explains something you learned in kindergarten, isn't, if not before, but may uh, never have made sense to you. The fact that uh, T-W-O, two... Actually, the number is spelled with a W, but pronounced two. Why don't we say one, two? Well, probably to preserve a little bit of dignity that, um, you know, that maybe played that role in our decision. But the W in, uh, in two is actually an artifact of the DW sound that it was inherited, that W uh, from Proto-Indo-European still fully audible in the Latin duo. I learned this from uh, my professor, as I mentioned. Actually, you can look up his TED Talk over the duel, I believe, um, on YouTube. It's a TEDx talk. Why, after all these years, has English still included the W in the written forms of two? It's kind of unclear. I wish I knew, but I don't. Onward to three, though. In Latin, that's trace tria and the last of the low cardinals that decline. As a fully regular third declensional adjective, it's I stem, of course. So the basis tree, uh, or tri rather, is the cognate, which means in English three. Alrighty, so what day we are back? I'm sorry, I'm doing this in so many different chunks, so. Bear with me, but uh, we're going to continue on with numerals because henceforth from four to uh, 
1,999 Latin numbers are indeclinable adjectives. That's awesome. That means that all you got to do is put it uh, together with the noun that it's modifying and you're set. You don't have to match it in case number or gender or any silly business like that. So they actually don't, don't change form whatsoever. And so the noun that they modify in the sentence can be determined only in context. So for instance, in a sentence where there's only one plural noun, or by proximity, rather. In other words, um, the numbers right next to what it goes with, Latin, four, is quator, five is quinque. Note that both in quinque and quator, Latin has Q-U, where we have F for five and four, right? Interesting. If that helps with memorizing, memorizing six as sex, um, seven as septum, and eight as octo, then more power to you. Nine is noem and ten is decem. Do these last four numbers sound at all familiar? Because I would say that these sound like the months September, October, November, December. Obviously, to the Romans, those are months number. Um, those are the months numbered seven, eight, nine, and ten. So, what's their month uh, number one? Well, count it backwards. Is it January? Our first month? No, it's actually March, the month uh, the Romans named after Mars, their god of war. According to myth, though, he was also the father, excuse me, of Romulus and Remus, the founders of the Roman nation. So it's appropriate that this month or his month was the first in their calendar because he basically gave rise to Rome, a.k.a. Romulus and Remus. One of them kills the other one. That's what creates the foundation of Rome because they went on one side of the hill and then the other side of the hill and both Romulus and Remus were punking each other. And then I'm it's escaping right now, but I believe Romulus was the one who was like, yo, you're ticking me off. And he struck his brother down by accident, didn't realize that he actually killed him. But that grow uh, grew rise to um, our... Latium, as they refer to it, as also there are um, speculations of Aeneas being also descendants of Aramielus and Remus, or vice versa, rather. So, without further ado, um, I I just like to sprinkle little little Easter eggs in the lessons. By the way, so I hope you're getting something out of it for for what it's worth. Early in Roman history, uh, he wasn't a war god, right? So, it, it actually, like I said, fertility deity who oversaw agriculture. You guys remember, Agricola in Latin is farmer. And what does an Agricola do? A farmer conducts agriculture. That's where we get Agricola from agriculture. So, it's also appropriate that this month, is March because that's when spring comes and farming can begin and all that good stuff. So it's basically, it correlates very well, both time-wise and just the meaning of why they would refer to March as the first, first month of their year. Until the beginning of the Roman Empire in the first century, the fifth and sixth months were called Quintilius and Sextilius, meaning fifth and sixth. Um, but after Julius and Augustus Caesar uh, saw this, they decided to uh, put their names in, in place. So that's why we get them renamed to July and August. 
I was born in August. Uh, if you are, you most likely are a Leo. Leo in Latin means lion. Ho, ho, ho. As is cancer means crab. As is Pisces means fish. As is... I'll shut up. I'm going on too many tangents. But you know me. I like me a good ramble rant. I think it's good we don't have months named uh, Quintilius and uh, Sext or Sextilius because uh, it would have been probably it would have been uh, Quintsk, like it would have been uh, spelled Q U I N C T, and uh, the sixth month would be Sext X S E X T. So uh, I don't think we would want to uh, change them by any means at this point. I think we're very good with July and August, even though we know that it was uh, influenced a lot by two people that really um, thought a little too highly of themselves, but it's okay. We'll forgive them. It's what power does to you sometimes. Actually, it's always what power does to people, it seems like, for the most part. 20 is Viginti. Please learn that number. Okay, that one's a very important one. 21 is Viginti Unus. Uh, or you could say 20 and 1, so Viginti et Unis, Unis et Viginti. The next number you need to memorize is Kentum 100. Kentum is where we get Century. It's where we get Centurion, a commander of 100 men. Uh, it's where we get Centipede, 100 feet, Pedes meaning feet. And uh, yeah, so the next one and the last one that you need to know is Mille, meaning 1,000. Oh, look, Millimeter, Millipede. Uh, all that good stuff. And it's plural milia, milium, which means thousands, because you can pluralize thousands. Thousand, rather. The singular of milia doesn't decline, just like all numbers from four to a thousand. But the plural um, milia does. So in Latin, declining begins again at 2,000. Milia is a regular third declension neuter noun, except that it's an I stem. Milli and milia are often paired with the genitive plural of the Latin word for step. I'm sorry, pace and or step. I just put pace and step together. Which would be passus, passus, fourth declension masculine. Remember, you guys, we haven't gotten to all of them, but there are five declensions. Skewed So with that fourth, fourth declension masculine, it would create milia or mille passum, which means miles essentially an english derivative of this phrase so for instance tria milia possum means three miles okay duo milia possum means two miles there you go now we're going to leave those cardinal numbers behind and we're going to discuss what ordinals are because maybe you know what ordinals are maybe you didn't now you know what they're going to be because beside cardinal numbers like one two and three Latin also has ordinal numbers like first, second, and third. Yes, that's what a f an ordinal number is. It's a, more upon a ranking system. They, uh, in fact, represent order and or rank. That's where the ordinals come from. Whereas cardinals, the term coming from the Latin word cardo, cardinis, which means hinge, the implication being that things on which everything hinges or depends upon uh, that's what cardinal numbers are, thus the fundamental chief principle meaning means of uh, calculating amounts. In other words, the basic numbers used in counting. So ordinals conversely, though, show the standing or rank of something. 
English has inherited so many derivatives from Latin ordinals that I couldn't make the argument you already know them. So for our first word, we had primus, prima, and primum. It's the first Latin ordinal, so it means first, right? Primus, prime. Primus has, has given us words like prime, primal, primate, primitive, all of which kind of have a sense of first in there, right? Because if you're primal, you're kind of like before the... Uh, I don't know. All words, they're all words that share the same sense of first, early, and or basic, essentially. So I'll leave it at that without getting into it more. Primus also can serve as the superlative of pro, which means forward. So prior, meaning former, uh, and which would, in this case, make primus literally the foremost, the first. Or indeed, English, first is exactly excuse me, is exactly the cognate with primus. So that F for P, as you'd expect from our Grimm's law that we were talking about before, plus the superlative affix S, right? When superlative is basically, if you didn't know, positive comparative superlative, good, better, best. Good is positive, comparative is, is better, and superlative is best. So again, you could go, uh, worse, worse, or worsest, or more worse, or whatever, and that would also be a superlative, but in a negative connotation. So positive, so positive comparative superlative are in uh, reference to words that can have different varying degrees of uh, rank and or order. So um, makes me think of a Berenstain Bears book where it was like, oh, who did this good, better, best, or fast, fast, faster, fastest, or Gosh, I don't know if anybody even knows what I'm talking about when I say the Berenstain Bears books, but there is one like that where every single one was a different scenario of all of the children vying in some sort of competition, and each one would always, you know, triumph over the other one, and it would explain like, oh, who was the faster, faster, fastest, or fast, faster, fastest kind of thing. So that's what comparative or positive comparative superlative is. Secondly. Secundus means second in Latin. That should, shouldn't really be uh, very hard to memorize, giving us the word like second, secondary, and secondly. Secundus is obviously related to duo. Instead, it comes from the same, obviously isn't related, I'm sorry. It instead comes from the same base as sequor. Sequor in Latin means, and is the verb that means to follow. So it literally means the following. That is the thing following the first. I love that, by the way. I think that's so interesting. Secundus comes from secor, just meaning whatever follows the first. But secundus has a secondary nuance in Latin as well, which means favorable. If a good omen was followed by another good omen, thus reinforcing the god's positive message, um, the Romans saw it as a supporting or confirming um, fact of the first, basically. So... From that, we inherited a second sense attached to secundus, which is seen in our verb to, to second, as in to second emotion presented in a formal meaning, i.e. to support it. Third is tertius, a-um, tertia, tertium, from which we get tertiary, meaning of or belonging to the third rank. <coughs> Moving on, we find quartus. God, I'm sorry, that was gross. It's um, 
it's really, really, really smoky around here because of all the wildfires. I'm thinking about my mom and dad. They sent me a picture of what the Sangre de Cristos look like back in Santa Fe right now. And I'm uh, just I'm just sending as many good vibes right now because the uh, I think I've made some people mad at my work because there are certain people that aren't as uh, I guess, as we could say, open minded. So I was talking about all this weather and stuff like that. And I'm like, yo. You guys, if you guys don't think that the world is rebelling against us at this point, y'all are, I don't even know what to say because doesn't it seem like it? I mean, our world is just so fed up of our BS at this point. And it's like, you know what? You've mistreated and abused me for so long. I'm fighting back. That's the reason why I see all of this or, you know, that's what we're just, I could get into controversial opinions about that because in a way, I almost feel like we're aliens to Earth, right? We're not really meant to be here. In fact, if you were to just nix humanity from Earth, this would be a thriving ecosystem for all of the animals that were here before us. That's all I say. Moving on, we find quartus, right, that I was talking about before. A lot of good derivatives here. Quart, quarter, quartet, quartile. The Latin word for fifth, quintus, also comes from and is produced uh, um, produced shared derivatives such as quintet, quintuplet, or quintuplet rather, one of five twin babies, uh, quintess- quintessence, which literal I forget quintessential right, which literally means the perfect form of something, the quintessential form of something. Uh, reference to the ancient belief that there were perfect fifth elements beyond the basic four water earth fire and air oh that makes me want to watch the fifth element you know some of these things i forget about but yeah that's right there's there's quintessentially they thought of there being one other basic element um and in this case maybe it is love and in that case i i fully support that in fact let's just call the fifth element love because I would say that that's probably one of the most sought out and widely surrounded concepts in humanity. We love love. I love love. You all love to be in love. You love the people that you love. In fact, when I was talking about it earlier, God, for instance, God, I don't consider God uh, this some sort of masculine figure with a beard chilling in the sky like that's just so antiquated like stop like why do we have to make it a man like why why can't it be a woman why can't it be all genders all um races combined combined into one person i don't know why it needs to be this white old man okay god is love and god is this omnipotent omniscient force all around us right that is love and if you guys disagree with me that's okay i would love to disagree but still respect each other's opinions because i think that there's a lot of value and utility in religion i just don't seem to practice it i think that i try to practice it in a different way where i know that i'm doing the right thing we i was talking to my friends yesterday because we all got together for kind of celebrating I had just gotten a new job, and this has been a long time coming because my previous work employer has been, uh, well, through from what me and my coworkers have figured out through a lot of uh, deep diving that uh, they're just slimy people, and uh, you know what? 
at the end of the day, what I told, because uh, there was somebody that told me, they're like, oh man, you know, you, you, by being, you know, full of integrity and honest and this and that, you really open yourself up to, to getting taken advantage of and really, you know, just shafted. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Totally. And I think that this is when I thought of when that teacher told me that my empathy would cripple me but because you can let it cripple you, I guess. You can be that yes man. You can be that person that's always going with the flow and or trying to mitigate problems or whatever, or just being the, the peacemaker. But what I said, it was like, you know what? Yes, they, they shafted me. They ended up telling me that they weren't going to resign my contract um, literally two weeks before the end of the year, whereas we had already figured out that they had put a, um, a uh, what was it? a listing for middle school Latin on uh, kind of like this, one of these different websites. One of my coworkers found it. Shout out to him. He's such an awesome dude. But he had found out that uh, they had literally put it up back in March. So if they were telling me that I was going to have a job between then and now, if I had achieved certain things, I don't think that they really meant it. I think that they were just lying through their teeth. And what I told them is that at the end of the day, I can leave this job and go to my next job knowing that I was truth. I was in full of integrity. I was honest. I wasn't lied or I didn't lie through my teeth and I didn't take advantage of people. I just taught for my students and I did it the best effing way I could because you guys are going to rue the day that you told Mr. Connolly to not re-sign because not only am I got a better position now, but now I got to, I got to, I got to say goodbye to all my kids that still think that I'm coming back. And that's the rough part. I've got a week and a half left of school and I got to do that. Today is Sunday. I don't know if I'm going to do it this week or towards the end of the week or whatever. And it's so sad. I've never felt so um, yeah, I know why I teach. I teach because I want to spread knowledge and I want to um, I want to invest in my future into the people that are going to be where I am 10, 20 years from now. Um, and they're going to be pe the people molding society at this point. And, um, yeah, you know, I, uh, I'm done. I'm done. I'll shut up. I'm doing it again. I'm always doing it. But at the same time, I just want my, if my students ever come across these, just let you know that I love all of you so, so much in that. You guys, I'm I'm still going to be doing TikToks all the time, so we'll be able to talk like that, and I'm going to get everybody's um, emails. I'll give my personal email to all of them that, you know, want it slash it's appropriate that the, their parents allow it as well. So, you know, when one door closes, another one opens. But remember, you guys, what I tell my students, just be honest. Just be, just be honest. Because, um, That'll pay tenfold. Septimus means seventh. Octavius means eighth. That's where we get Octave, Octavian, a Roman-based name originally, the eighth child born into a family, actually, if you didn't know, now you know. Ninth is Nanus, Nana, and Nanum, and tenth is Decimus. This is where we derive our word decimal, decimate, 
In fact, decimate was a reference to the Roman military practice of killing a tenth of the soldiers in an army unit if there was even the hint of mutiny or desertion. Um, so what they would do is they would take the 100 men, the centurion, the commander of 100 men would line them up and he'd count by tens and they would kill the 10th person that he, he had counted off. So regardless whether they were in the right or in the wrong, uh, it was a demonstration to show everybody this is what's going to happen to you if you decide to uh, rebel. Okay, Those soldier, soldiers to be slain, like I said, were selected not because of any infraction, but because they were just in that line. And they uh, happened to be the 10th person that it landed on. So he'd be like one, two, three, four, five, six. Or he would be like Unus Duo Tria, Cortus, Quintus, Sextus, Septimus, Octavius, Nonus, Decimum. All right, I'm done. So, um, so yeah, that was that, that, that's actually where we get the word decimate. Um, in other words, though, if you tried to rebel or run away from your duty, you would just get innocently killed or you would get your friend killed. Um, there were notably few mutinies in Rome because of this, uh, as you can very well understand. Eventually, the brutality of this custom led to the misuse of the term, aka why we uh, talk about um, decimation as a widespread destruction, far more than one-tenth. So I don't know why we kind of change that, but decimate really just means a tenth of a legion to be killed, or a tenth uh, that is mated, decimated. All right. Well, before leaving the subject, I have one more thing that I want us to get to. There are two important things worth noting about ordinals. First, they're all first, second declension and are perfectly regular. Second, see the TA fix, which the majority of Latin supports ordinals with. Uh, the Cardinal King K5, for instance, becomes the ordinal Quintus V, sext, or sex rather, turns into sextus, sixth. Now look at the same pattern in English, where we had TH, 4th, 5th, 6th, and so on. This pattern also follows Grimm's Law, which is to say that the T actually becomes a TH, as is, if you look at it, pater, P-A-T-E-R, turns into father, okay? So that's where that Grimm's Law of uh, consonants kind of being re- um, reused in certain fashion so and you can say mater mother okay so now what we're going to do for the remainder bit of this lesson here is we're going to get into the genitive